April. Morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here today on this beautiful morning. Well, we have come uh, continuing our talks on discipleship and what it means learning to be like Jesus. We've had several sermons looking at our connection with God up, and last week Martin spoke for the first time on our in connection, things about our own characters and how we relate to community. So today, it's the seventh in our discipleship series. We continue with the in into our um, own characters. And we, knew, we use another of the buttons, which is the fast forward button. If that can come up, here we go. The fast forward button to a new identity. And to help us get the most out of this wonderful passage in Ephesians, I have to say Ephesians is my favorite book. We've not got three points, but we've got six, six truths about our identity. And I do hope I didn't hear you groan just then. The Life Application Bible, um, which I have at home, it's a brilliant Bible, has 24 identity truths. So aren't you glad I'm not doing 24 (laughs) separate parts today? But it is crucial that we learn to fast forward past the lies that we think about ourselves, lies from other people, and lies especially from Satan, and fast forward to the truth of who we really are in Christ Jesus. So each of the six headings is deliberately in the first person. Now, in the King James Version of the reading we've just had, It starts with the greatest and shortest phrase in history, but God. Paul gives a vivid description in the previous three verses of the pre-Christ hopelessness that we all experience. A grim and hopeless fate waiting those in the forlorn company of mankind, marching behind the prince of the power of the air to their destruction on judgment day. And just when things look the most desolate and the most desperate, Paul utters this short phrase, but God. We were rebels against him, but God. We were enslaved by the devil and our sinful natures, but God. We had no hope, but God. Those two words in the authorised version totally put a stop to the step-by-step descent into hopelessness. Out of the greatness of God's loving heart and the richness of his mercy, he rescued us from the treadmill of annihilation. So love is defined as the cost of a gift someone is willing to pay. And John 3.16 says it so eloquently, God so loved the world that he gave. God loved the Father, loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son to die in my place, that I might be reconciled to God and be brought back into relationship with the Father. So we have this statement, I am loved because of God's great love for me. I want us to affirm it together twice. So will you say it with me? I am loved because of God's great love for me. I am loved because of God's great love for me. 
The next truth about our identity in Christ is I am alive in Christ. It's good to remind ourselves this morning what actually happened on the cross when Jesus died. Paul makes this very clear in Romans 6 verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. It means that our old self was put to death with Christ. Dead to the hold sin had over us, and dead to our old life. And then, just as the great power of God raised Jesus from the dead on Easter Sunday, so we too were raised to newness of life in Christ. So when Christ died, we died also. And when Christ was raised alive, we also were made alive. You can't have one without the other. And as Paul powerfully says in Galatians 2.20, which is a verse we should all know by heart, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. So we now live to follow Jesus. We live to love him and make him known. The word alive has some lovely synonyms. Thriving, flourishing, blooming. So my new life in Christ means I experience joy and peace and hope. Being alive in Christ means that I'm sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Being alive in Christ means our senses are heightened and we are aware of God's presence more and more. Being alive in Christ means I see things from God's perspective with a new purpose, a new destiny, a new meaning. Being alive in Christ means I flourish, I thrive, I bloom. So let's say this together and affirm it. I am alive in Christ. I am alive in Christ. Third truth about our identity is I am seated in heavenly places. Many, many, many years ago, a Chinese Christian, Watchman Nee, some of you may have read some of his books, which are brilliant, who was imprisoned for many years and died for his faith, wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. It's one of the first books I ever read as a Christian, and it is profoundly deep and meaningful. He explains that before we can walk in the Christian life and work for God, before we stand against the enemy, we have to learn to sit. Now, sitting is an attitude of rest. And we actually, it's a bit of a funny thing here, but we can only advance in the Christian life as we first learn to sit. Resting our whole weight, our load, ourselves, our worries, our failures, everything upon the Lord. Letting him bear the responsibility and cease carrying the burden ourselves. It's a deep, very deep spiritual truth that whereas God worked six days in creation and then enjoyed his Sabbath rest, Adam began his life on the Sabbath day, for God works before he rests, but mankind must enter into God's rest first before 
he walks and works. So sit refers to our established position in Christ. It is a place of rest we occupy purely because of God's sacrifice for us, because Jesus died for us. So the secret is not in walking first, but in resting, in sitting. In sitting and resting in a work already accomplished, because Christ's work on the cross is finished, there's nothing we can do to add to what Christ has already done. And God goes above and beyond the basic act of salvation, which you can't really call it a basic act because it's a wonderful, all-encompassing act. But he lifts us up to much higher things. In fact, the highest thing possible, to be seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Now, that statement is twofold. It will be fully realized one day when we leave this earth, when we die and start our future in eternity. But it is also for the here and now, because that is where our spirits, the real you and me, are at this moment. If we died with Christ, if we rose with Christ, then it follows that wherever Christ is now, that's where we are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And if we truly understand our position as being seated in Christ in the heavenly places, it means we can carry heaven's perspective with us wherever we go. We can release heaven's blessings into the lives of others. We can bring the good news right from the throne room into the needy world. And we can proclaim authority over the enemy as we pray because we're in the throne room. So let's say this together. I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the fourth truth about our identity in Christ is I am saved by grace. Grace is used three times in this short passage. It's one of those words it's difficult to define. It doesn't mean beauty or style or poise as the world understands it. It basically means a state of being made right by God, being under divine influence. The Greek word is charis. It literally means favor, to bend or stoop in kindness to another as a superior to an inferior. Oh, how Philippians resonates when it says, Christ, who being in nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, he humbled himself. Jesus stooping down to our level so that we could be brought back to his level, into God's family, through God's unmerited favor. Grace means God's love in action towards mankind who deserve the exact opposite. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Grace means God sending his only son to descend into hell from the cross 
so that we guilty ones might be reconciled to God and received into heaven. Paul makes it so clear. God hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see sin. He sees righteousness. And that's God's gift of grace to us. So let's say this. Oh, sorry, I've gone ahead of myself. Not yet. Grace can also be understood as power. God's grace is strong enough to break through every other power in this world. And this power of grace is at work in our lives today. Paul, talking about that thorn in the flesh that he had, heard God clearly say, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So grace and power together. And we can be living, walking examples that God is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in love. He is pouring out his grace upon us. We who don't deserve it. And therefore, as we have received such amazing grace, we need to share this grace with others. So, let's say this together. I am saved by grace. I am saved by grace. The fifth truth is I am God's handiwork. You've only got to read Psalm 139 to realize how wonderfully God has created us. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. Now, I'm going to show a few slides now of the different handiwork of various ladies and gentlemen in our fellowship. There's Claire with her gift of drawing and Bible journaling. There's Roz, who makes beautiful, intricate jewellery in silverwork. Absolutely amazing. That little roof lifts up, and it's very small. There's Steve, who created the wonderful words, Hope, that Adele took to Zimbabwe, and I think he made another set for us here as well, which we had over Christmas. Then there's Jane with her beautiful wedding and christening dresses, and the christening dress was for my little Livy that she made out of Debbie's wedding dress. And Rita, who is able to knit the most intricate knitting patterns and this beautiful embroidery. And other ladies who've made our hangings all around the church and on the table. Beautiful, beautiful giftings. They all reflect the creativity that God has placed in each one of us. They are an echo of God's creativity and his vision. Another word for workmanship is masterpiece. That comes out in the NLT Bible that says we are God's masterpiece. The Greek word for masterpiece is poema. And I bet you can guess what we get that word from is poem. So when God looks at us, he says, you're my poem. You're wonderful. You're beautiful. You're, ma- you're my masterpiece. You're unique. You're precious. This morning, 
some of us may feel a bit low in self-esteem. Perhaps we don't feel good about ourselves. Yet God is telling us this morning that we do have worth. We do have value because of what he says about us, because of what he thinks about us, not what others say or what others feel or how we feel. If God wanted you to be somebody else, you wouldn't exist. But he wanted you to be you, and he wanted me to be me. Isaiah tells us in chapter 62 that we are a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of our God, and that God takes delight in us. Picture in your mind's eye, God holding you in the palm of his hand. He's looking at you, his creation, with wonder and delight and deep, deep love. So the creativity of our ladies and gentlemen and all of you who've got your different aspects of creativity is magnified millions and millions and millions of time as God created each one of us so carefully, so intricately, so lovingly. And because of that, we have purpose, we have destiny, we have beauty, we have worth. And because of that, we dare not treat ourselves or others as inferior. So let's say the next one together. I am God's handiwork and masterpiece. I am God's handiwork and masterpiece. And the last one, I am created for good works. Well, it's obvious from our reading that we cannot receive salvation by doing anything ourselves. We cannot do anything to gain access into a relationship with God. If it were possible, then we'd get the glory and God wouldn't. And yet, there would be something radically wrong if salvation does not produce good works in us. Because good works are the natural result and consequence of God's work of creation in us. Surely God's love for us means we should love others and seek to serve them. And God has prepared long ago, long beforehand, the kind of life and the good things he wants us to do. Now, there are plenty of works plenty of good works, plenty of jobs that we can all be involved in, especially bearing in mind we've lost eight key people. We've sent them with our blessing to St. John's, which means there are lots of vacancies for different jobs here at Pip and Jim's. There are lots of things, there are lots of good works that you can do which are a result of your salvation experience. In the notices today, for instance, if you read them when you get home or before, there's a call for more help in doing the tea and coffee after church. Is that something you could do? And what about helping with PJ Gang? We saw the children go out. Or round the net on Thursdays, our cafe round there. Do you remember that old advert in the war? Your country needs you. I mean, some of you were obviously not old enough to be in the war. (laughs) But I'm sure we've all seen that poster, or many like it. Well, Pip and Jim's needs you. God needs you to work out the good works he has already ordained for you to walk in. 
He needs you to be involved in the good works that he's planned in advance. Are you courageous enough to ask God this morning, well, actually, Lord, what do you want me to do? And if you ask that, he will show you. So let's say this together. I am created for good works. I am created for good works. So to end, when we understand our true identity in Christ, we'll no longer feel unloved or unwanted. We'll no longer feel sinful and guilty. We'll no longer be held down by this world's gravity. We'll no longer be kept in places of darkness feeling I don't deserve anything. We'll no longer think our life is a mistake and we're just a mess and of no worth. We'll no longer think we can't make a difference because we're no good. Instead, these six truths about our identity in Christ will make a profound difference if we truly believe them. So, let's say them all again together and really Really believe it in your heart. I am loved. I am alive in Christ. I am seated in heavenly places. I am saved by grace. I am God's handiwork. I am created for goodness. Amen. Hallelujah.